Hey there, and welcome to Truth Be Told, a theology and apologetics podcast not claiming to have all of the answers, but created to analytically look at the truth contained in the Bible and encourage critical thinking on how to apply that truth to our lives. I'm Micah Gunn, and I appreciate you listening in. No matter your level of understanding or knowledge, I sincerely hope and pray that you find these words edifying, informative, and beneficial. So let's get started. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm pretty sure they put me in the afternoon because every time I'm in the morning, I say good afternoon anyways. So they're like, all right, let's just give the guy what he wants. Well, here we are commemorating a very special event in church history and celebrating the day, the day of Pentecost. We were probably all here one year ago today. Maybe some of us weren't. But since then, we've added a few tongues of fire to our collective flame. And hopefully next year we'll have even more tongues of fire in that collective flame. We have a few, though. And as we go through each year, we add a few more tongues to that flame. Whenever any of us, though, read of that account in Acts where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, I think we're struck by two, at least I am, we're struck by two different frames of mind. One frame of mind looks at that event and says, wow, what an incredible image. What an amazing event that happened there, full of uh, wonderful signs and wonders. And really, just it was very evident that the Spirit was there in the church at that time. And God showed that very clearly. And we're so glad we have that to look back on. But I think, I could be wrong, but for me, I've always looked at that time also with a little bit of chagrin or feeling a tiny bit shortchanged because I was baptized and where was the tongue of fire at my baptism? Where was that awesome change that was supposed to happen, right? Where was that rushing wind and that evidence of the Spirit right there in my life at that exact time? Where, where was it? We could even go a step further and say, where were the gifts that I should have gotten at that time? Like God poured out his spirit on the people that were building the tabernacle and they had gifts to do certain things. Where was that for me? Where were the mighty works that I could suddenly do when God poured his spirit out on Samson? He could do mighty works through that spirit. Where is that for me the day after my baptism or the moment after my baptism? or years after my baptism, or on this Pentecost day, why is it not here right in this second? Where's my ability to speak in tongues? Why do I still forget the things in the Bible, even though it says the Spirit will bring all things into remembrance? Why do I still forget things or to do things? Isn't the Spirit always in me? I hope. So why am I still forgetting? Why do I not always feel power, love, or a sound mind all the time? Again, where is that rushing wind? We could even go as far as to ask sometimes, where is God's spirit? What's the evidence that I have it? How do I know that my baptism took, quote unquote? We're often told that to discern the spirit within us, we should often look to the fruit of the spirit and that's great. I think that's, that is what we should do. Look to the fruit of the Spirit that's listed by Paul and say, do I have these things growing in abundance in my life because I have the Spirit in me? And that's great. But again, that can be hard to discern as well. I think I'm patient, but I know sometimes I'm not. I'm growing in kindness, 
but I was kind of a jerk this morning. I think I've got more joy in general, but man, it is hard to maintain that in this frustrating world that we live in. Well, today I would like to compare two different sections of scripture where God shows himself to be very present and try to dispel this concern that some of us can have where we might feel like on this day of Pentecost, where are those tongues of fire? Where is that rushing wind? And where is God's spirit? So I'd like to look at two stories. The first one is in 1 Kings, if you would turn with me there. Um, this might be something, I'm not going to go to individual verses. I'll go through the story itself. But just so you're there in the section, you can be reading while I'm talking if you get really, really bored with what I'm saying. No, I'm kidding. But 1 Kings is our first story. This is a story about Elijah the prophet. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is seeking after God. He is distraught to the point of hopelessness. He even prays that his life will end. He feels alone and he feels abandoned. He feels probably forsaken by God. And he blames the people of Israel who continue to do evil. And I think it's safe to say that he's probably a little bit upset with God. Because he doesn't see him where he thinks he should see him. God, why are you letting your people go astray? Why am I the only one left? Just kill me now because they're going to do it for you. This is Elijah's state of mind. So what does he do? It says he goes to a cave. Now most scholars will look at that and they understand that this possibly and most probably means the cave. Not just a cave, but the cave where Moses himself was hidden in the cleft of the rock and saw the presence of God go past him. So this is where Elijah goes when he's seeking after God to the place where he knows he was at one point. But if we'll remember that story where Moses saw God, this is the same place where fire was burning on the mountain where thunders were happening, where a wind was blowing, and the people were afraid. They couldn't understand, they couldn't handle the tempest that was God's glory right in front of them at the time. But this is what Elijah wants to see. God, where's the tempest? Where's the wind? Where's the fire? I'm alone, and you're not where I think you should be. So he goes to where he thinks he should be. So he recognizes that God is not doing what he thinks he should, and he can't understand it. So why are you not stopping this evil? But what happens in this story? God says, Elijah, why are you here? Not meaning, what are you doing here? He knows what Elijah's doing there. But why did you come here to this place? You have a work to do, and you came here. Why? What's the purpose? And God tells Elijah to come out of the cave and... First, there's a great wind, just like Elijah expected to see, right? I would imagine Elijah said, finally, here's the power I've been looking for. Here's the wind. Then, he wasn't in the wind. Then, an earthquake. And Elijah thinks, finally, here's God, the power of the earthquake, moving the earth. This is the God I sought after. But God was not in the earthquake. Then, fire. But God was not in the fire. So everywhere that Elijah thinks God should be, that he's expecting him there, he wasn't there. But where was God? As soon as that happens, it says a still, small voice was heard by Elijah. And this caused him to cover up his face and go out to see God. This is where he knew God was. 
It's not where he expected God to be, but that's where God was, in the still small voice. God was in the still small voice, and Elijah recognized it. He covered his face to go out before him. And sometimes that's how God works. It's not in the rushing wind. In John 20, verse 22, Christ breathes on his disciples and says, receive my spirit. He doesn't send a rushing wind on them. He's showing them a pattern of what they should expect on Pentecost. But it wasn't in a rushing wind. It was in a gentle breath on his disciples. Sometimes that's how God works. By contrast, if you turn with me to Job... Job chapter 1. And Job, I think we're familiar with this story. He had a pretty comfortable life. Things were going well for him. He knew God. I kind of think of like the old Irish blessing. The sun shined warm on Job's face. And the wind fell soft, or the rain fell soft on his fields. And the wind was always at his back. That was right until the warmth of the sun turned into the heat of a fire... And the gentle breeze at his back turned into a tempest that killed all of his family. Right up until that moment, Job was comfortable and happy. He knew where God was. They almost had a very business-like relationship. I'll make sacrifices just in case my kids are doing dumb stuff. And God will bless me. And this is the life we have. This is the agreement we have. Job knew where to find God in this gentle comfort hedge around him of blessings. But what happened with Job? I think we know that too. He was happy with the gentleness of God and the blessings of life. But suddenly, God was not in the gentle blessings of life. He was suddenly not happy being the focus of God in another way. In Job 7, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll turn there for you. In Job 7, Verse 17, it says, what is man that you should exalt him? This is after everything's happened to Job. He's lost everything. He's destitute. What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? Verse 19, how long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? few chapters previous to this, he was perfectly happy being God's target in this gentle, comfortable life. But suddenly, God was very loud, right? God allowed a lot to happen to Job, and he did not expect to find God in that situation. So he's asking, God, where are you to lead me away from this? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Job had access to God. He knew right where to find him when he needed him in his gentle life. But when his life ceased being gentle and God began to display his power, Job lost sight of him. So because Job expected the still small voice, he lost sight of him when God decided to thunder. If you would turn to Job 26. Job 26, this is where Job is starting to wise up. He sees the error of his ways. God has presented himself in a literal thundercloud. And he has thundered at Job, who are you, O man? And Job starts to wise up and he says, wow, you're right. You're right. 
I had such a limited view of you, but I realize you are here even in this thundering, though I expected you in the still small voice. In verse 14 of chapter 26, he says, Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. This is after talking about everything God has done. Where were you when the seas were formed, when the earth was formed, when I laid the foundations? Where were you? And he, he goes through all these things that God has done, and instead he says, Indeed, these are just the mere edges of your ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand it? Sometimes we expect God to be in the thunder or the rushing wind and we get frustrated when we don't see him there. We pray for that power to be displayed because we want it to be evident to us. We want to see it clearly. No more doubts, no more questions. I want to know, God, did you give me your spirit? Show me. Thunder at us. But can we take it? Can we comprehend it? On the flip side, sometimes we expect God to tone it down. We feel overwhelmed by the expectations or the understanding that we're expected to have. The work we're supposed to do in this increasingly hostile world, and we wish for just a second he would give us a break. We want that still, small voice, and we expect him in that stillness to the point where we lose him in the disorienting thunder or wind. So then what do we do? We're still at the same part. How do we know that we have God's spirit? How, on our day-to-day -day walk, do we know that? Yes, we can look to the fruit of the spirit. Yes, we can see that we grow. We can have other people tell us and help us along, alongside of us and show us the ways in which we've grown, and that's great. But we don't have tongues of fire. We don't have a rushing wind. So what does God do? What do we do? My advice to you is to stop expecting God to work with you the same way that you see him working with others. And also, don't expect God to work with you in the way that you think would be best. Trust that when he says he's going to give you his spirit, that he is going to give you his spirit. Because the point that led you to be baptized in the first place is a point of trusting God. Knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he grants his promises, that is one of his promises. Trust when he says he'll give it to you, he will give it to you. Look at your life, not for where you think God should be, but for where he's showing you that he is. The Holy Spirit is often equated to a rushing wind, like an axe, and sometimes like a breath in John 20, verse 22. Sometimes a whisper is needed, and sometimes a thunder is needed. But we should always trust that God knows when to show himself and how. So look for him in that place. I want to leave you with a quote from a, an English minister and missionary to New Zealand. His name was F.W. Borum. wrote fantastic books and essays. In his book, The Whisper of God, he wrote, God, with all his omnipotence at his disposal, never wastes anything. He never sends a flood if a shower will do, never sends a fortune if a shilling will do, never sends an army if a man will do, and he never thunders if a whisper will do. Have a great Pentecost.